Hello everyone and welcome to episode 354 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a small crew this week. Unfortunately, Krim had his uh, computer blow up yesterday or something, uh, so he's having some issues trying to get his computer fixed, which means we're two-manning it, me and the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this fine Monday, Richard? Hey, Seth, we're, we're almost done preview season. Oh. We finished the main set. Uh, Commander should be out by the time you're listening to this podcast but it's not out for us yet uh but you know coming up to the release of the new set all the cards are available so it'll be a fun cast yeah we got tons of spoilers to talk about getting ready for the actual release of the set on uh, on thursday digitally and then a little later than that in paper but it's almost time to start playing with these new cards so as far as the overview of the cast we're going to talk more in a star crimson bow spoilers of course want to talk a little bit about some things I've realized by having two Innistrad sets in a row, having two sets in the same block, so to speak, which I think is kind of interesting. So I want to get in that a little bit. We also got one of the weirdest secret layer drop announcements of all time that we wanted to dig into a bit. And then, of course, answer some fish mail questions. So that is the plan for the cast today. Before we get into it, though, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And Card Conduit, you've probably heard about them from us before. They are a great way to sell your magic collection, and they're offering a new service is geared towards selling smaller batches of valuable cards with a reduced service fee. With their curated shipment service, you can sell your cards for the best available buy list price with only a 5% fee. And as with all of Card Conduit services, you don't got to sort your cards or grade your cards. You get to avoid all the hassles associated with buy listing your magic cards. You can just safely pack them up and ship them out. And of course, you'll get a detailed report with all the results. So you can check out Card Conduit's curated shipment option as a way to buy list up to to 150 cards with fast processing, optimized prices, and the low, low service fee of just 5%. And you can even get another 10% off by going to cardconduit.com goldfish. Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. So thank you to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk some Innistrad Crimson Vow. So we got oh, so many cards. Uh, last week when we did the cast, we were like three or four days into spoiler season, and we had a lot, but we have the whole rest of the so uh, set to talk about. So Richard, why don't you take it away? Guide us through some uh, new spoiler cards. All right. Let's start off with Kaya Geist Hunter. One white and a black. So three mana value. Orzov colors. Three starting loyalty. Plus one. Creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. Put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature token you control. Minus two. Until end of turn. If one or more tokens would be created under your control. Twice that. Many uh, of those tokens are created instead. Minus six, exile all cards uh, from all graveyards. Create a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying for each card exiled this way. So Kaya, I mean, the upside is it is three mana and there's like a pretty long history of three mana Planeswalkers being powerful. And I think the negative two ability, that one shot like doubling season, anointed procession, that's the ability that is most intriguing. On the other hand, Oh, this Planeswalker does not protect itself, like, at all. The only thing that's kind of like protection is putting a counter on a token, which is not really a meaningful amount of protection. Like, when I think about this card, I imagine in Standard, if you're playing against Demir, you're playing against one of the Izzet decks, it's probably decent. You can, like, sneak it down, start ticking up. The ultimate is going to make a bunch of spirits, hopefully. But against, like, Mono Green or Mono White, how do you even play this without it just getting immediately murdered by a creature? So, I don't know. What do you think about this, Richard? It is three mana, but 
no protection. Uh, can this card actually see play anywhere? This could have been like two mana. <laughs> <laughs> this is hot garbage. Like you say sneak it in under like a control deck. You ultimate, they wrath the board like nothing has been accomplished, right? The plus one, you need a, a creature token. Uh, so you need tokens specifically, and it only puts one. Like, it's, like, barely usable, and you get to attack with your, like, now 2-2 two -two token with that touch. Like, you can't Got him. block. It doesn't last until, like, your <laughs> turn, right? It's just end of turn. And, yeah, you get a one-shot doubling season, but... Um, I, I don't know, was that worth it? Like, what do you like? What's the best token producer in standard right now? Mm, Elrond's Epiphany, obviously. Double double up them birds. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I they'd rather just play expressive iteration or no, what, what is the doubling one called? Uh, I'd rather just like uh, fork my. Oh, Galvanic iteration. Yeah, yeah. Galvanic iteration. I'd rather just fork my Elrond's Epiphany and get the extra turn as well. Rather. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's like Starnheim Unleashed. Uh, it works with any token so it does like double your prosperous innkeeper treasure or whatever your shambling gas treasure so it can do some things i i, I kind of see this as a planeswalker that you don't play on turn three but then if you're not playing your three mana planeswalker on turn three like if it's actively bad on turn three is it just bad? Like, uh, like I imagine you wait till turn five or turn six. Uh, I know, I know, I know, living to turn five and six in Sander, that doesn't seem that likely, but let's say you live that long somehow, then you play this and try to play, you know, Battle for Burdegard or something that makes a token right away to double it up. Is that gonna be good? Uh, probably not. I do like that if you do ultimate against is that it does block like Goldspan Dragons and block the bird tokens from Epiphany kind of forever. Like sure, they do get Wrath, but it is kind of good defense for the extra turn loop. and there are a lot of graveyard synergies in standard, so exiling the graveyard is good, but yeah, I don't know. I'm intrigued by the negative too, but it's hard for me to imagine this being like a competitive card in standard. I just, ugh, it doesn't protect itself enough. It's just gonna get killed by an old growth troll or a Luminarchus Spyrant or whatever is just gonna run it over as soon as you put it on the battlefield. There's no world in which that minus two is worth. Like if you have to play Kaya at minus two at the same time, at six mana, right? If you, if you pay six mana, you would be copying a three drop spell, which you could have just played two of them, right? <laughs> like you could have just cast it, right? So what you really need to do is like play this thing minus and then rip like a six drop token maker or something like that, right? And like really leverage your mana there, but I don't know, uh, this, this doesn't do okay. anything. Okay, what, what about commander though, Richard? What about in a token, no. dedicated token deck in commander, still not worth it? Just playing actual anointed procession or whatever? Yeah, white has anointed procession. I mean, I mean, if you're really desperate, you're playing like uh, black white tokens. Like what if you're modern, okay? Like you, there's a black white tokens deck. Would you play this, <laughs> right? Like, oh. I don't think so. Commander, like, you even have less defense because there's three players going for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is true. Yeah, I, I don't know. The only thing I will say is Rite of Harmony is in standard, and that does potentially draw you a lot of cards if you can double up tokens, but still, that's probably an against odds deck. So yeah, I, I don't know what they're trying to do with this, Kaya, honestly. I'm not sure where this fits. Uh, Yeah, maybe it's just not very good. Would it be too good at two mana? Um, like, serious question. <laughs> like, would, would it even be playable at two mana? That's what... <laughs> I don't know if it would be too good at two. I, I mean, it is a three mana planeswalker. And if there's one thing we've seen over Magic's history, those tend to be powerful. So I don't want to go like too crazy and be like, oh, this three mana planeswalker is just absolutely horrible. It should be two mana. But 
I mean, I kind of feel like it could be two mana. I guess the only reason I would be scared of it at two mana is if there's something I'm missing about that negative two, some sort of like combo or something that I haven't seen yet, no one's figured out yet. Like maybe that would be really scary if you could, I don't know, two mana play this, take it down and then spectral procession or something for five mana, make a bunch of tokens. But even that, like, I don't know, that doesn't seem that good. That's like a turn five playing modern or something. Challenge Tivolt. For the crowd, oh, oh, two mana oh, oh, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know how to play a two mana. <laughs> One mana. Am I missing something? Like why? Why is why has Kaya been given this card? Like I, I must be missing something. There must be some sweet synergies we're not seeing. It's just that ultimate is not is not threatening enough, in my opinion, for your reward of sneaking in a three mana planeswalker and then like managing to tick up like the whole time like that. That's not good enough as a finisher. I mean, you probably get a lot of spirits, but it is true that they can just get wrathed away. And it is a little hit or miss, just depending. I can see in some matchups, there's just not going to be many cards in the graveyard. Play a send three, uptick, uptick, uptick. What if there's only like three or four cards in the graveyard? Like, that's not exciting. There's going to be times when it's like 20 tokens and it's kind of insane if they don't wrath that wins the game. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let us know in the comments. What are, what are we missing about this card? Is there something we're missing about Kaya? Because... I don't really get it, and I don't think you do either. Uh, I, I think one mana would you play this? I'm just going all the way. If it was like one Phyrexian mana, would you play it? Like, what are you doing with Is this worth the card in your deck? I'm so confused. Uh, all right. Faithbound Judge. One white, white. Spirit Soldier. Mythic. It's a 4-4. Defender Flying Vigilance. At the beginning of your upkeep, if Faithbound Judge has two or fewer judgment counters on it, put a judgment counter on it. As long as Faithbound Judge has three or more judgment counters on it, it can attack as though it didn't have Defender. Disturb seven, five white, white. Uh, enchant player, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a judgment counter on Sinner's Judgment. If there are three or more judgment counters on it, Enchanted player loses the game. If Sinner's Judgment would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. This card's really interesting to me. So, I mean, the front side doesn't feel that bad in standard, just because uh, it reminds me a little bit of Plume Veil. You don't get the, the flash to ambush something, but a 4-4 flyer for three, that is something that profitably trades with Goldspan Dragons, Moonveil Regents, uh, Manaform Hellkites, all these big flyers, Stonewalls, the white flyers, uh, like Paulo. Uh, so I feel like it's actually a pretty good good defensive card and then eventually it turns into a undercosted sarah angel essentially where you get this three mana four four flying vigilance the backside is really cool but boy seven mana and then three turns is asking a lot in standard i like, ugh, i i can't imagine this is going to be like a competitive finisher in standard but it does seem like a an interesting fun finisher and it is kind of upside like if the front side is good enough then you're just getting the oh like i got a bunch of mana nothing's going on i might as well put this curse into play and who knows maybe actually win the game with it i don't know is there any chance you think richard this could actually see real play in standard or is this just like a janky fun casual card i think it's janky i think there there, there could have been a world where control decks use this as a finisher right like it's a three mana four four blocker you block, you you know, you stabilize, you're at the board, yada yada, and then like seven mana, you curse them, and then you just wait three turns and they die, right? But we have Aldrin's Epiphany, like you don't need to wait three turns, you can just chain off Epiphanies and kill them. So we, we have that for control decks going, so I don't know that this is good enough. And a three mana 4-4 four, four blocker, is that good enough to see play? And I don't think so, but maybe... 
But I think Epiphany is just a stronger play, right? Like, why would you play this when you can play Epiphany? Yeah, I, I think that's the problem with a lot of the control finishers that I've seen or potential control finishers. Like, oh, in another world where Epiphany wasn't a card, this could be an option for a control finisher. But in a Epiphany world, it's a little awkward. The other issue is, like, the dominant white deck is a white aggro deck. And I feel like this is just way too slow, way too expensive for white aggro or, like, the Azurius Tempo style decks that we see. So I feel like it would need a... A brand new archetype. You'd need some sort of control deck that for some reason doesn't want to win with Alrun's Epiphany. And that's probably asking just too much. Maybe if Epiphany ends up getting banned or something, maybe this enters the mix. Although we have some other cards that can be good control finishers from the set as well. What do you think about Commander, Richard? Uh, we were talking the other day on the, the Commander Clash podcast, which uh, I think is going up tomorrow. You should check that out on the Goldfish Commander YouTube. But we were talking a little bit about these new curses in how they really wreck a single player. The red one just incentivizes the table to murder someone. This one puts a single player on a three-turn clock. Like, either you answer this, or you answer me in three turns, or you are going to be dead. What do you think about this in Commander? Is this a fun card? Is it a good card? Is it too good of a card? I think this is fun. I think this is okay, because it doesn't make three players kill you, right? Like, you have been targeted by someone, and you have three turns to deal with it. I think that's fair game. What I really dislike is something that causes like the entire table to turn on the cursed person. Uh, then that's just like a 3v1 and like no one signed up for that. So I think this is, you know, an honorable card. Like I wouldn't be too mad if you enchanted me because I just I just have three turns to disenchant it, right? Yeah, I mean, you should be able to, uh, I mean, at risk of the play more removal argument, you, it is very killable. There is a lot of enchantment removal and you do have three turns to just kill the person that put it on you. The person who plays this on you is definitely painting a target on their own head because they're putting that clock on you. Would you play this in Commander? Like, how good is this? Is this something you would just throw in any white deck? Maybe a white self mill style deck or like how how, how good do you think it is? How powerful? I, I think it's bad. Like, I don't think you would like, I, like, it's a cool build around me card. Like, I can see you trying to build a deck uh, to execute on this curse, but I don't think you just throw it in a generic deck. Like, what are the odds that you enchant someone and then you get three turns, right, to, uh, to let them fall over, right? And this is like Disturb 7, so this is pretty late in the game when you're doing this. So you need to survive three turns. They need to not interact nor kill you in that time and onto inversion needs to not have gone off so i feel it's very unlikely unless you build your deck around it yeah also a little awkward that because it's only a curse in the graveyard it doesn't work with a lot of the curse synergies like curse of misfortune is not going to tutor it up and then we just got that curse commander at lind i think is the most power uh most popular curse commander and that's a grixis card so it doesn't even really go in the curse deck so i don't know where it fits but i do think it is kind of a a fun funny challenge card to uh to build a deck around in commander even if it isn't like super high powered all right Next up, we have Cemetery Gatekeeper, one in a red, Mythic Vampire at 2-1. First strike, when Cemetery Gatekeeper enters a battlefield, exile a card from a graveyard. Whenever a player plays a land or casts a spell, if it shares a card type with the exiled card, Cemetery Gatekeeper deals two damage to that player. Ooh, I'm glad we're talking about this one because I really want your opinion on it. So this is a card that I don't think is all that great in standard. I mean, it's fine, but it's not super exciting. I think as you go back to older formats, that's where this card becomes more interesting to me. Formats like modern, even pioneer and historic to some extent. How good do you think this is in modern, Richard? We already have like, Eidolon of the Great Revel is the easiest comparison, which just straight up hits 
uh, most of the cards in the format. So many cards cost three or less, so it's pretty consistent two damage. This is not going to be as consistent, but you get the upside of exiling a card from the graveyard, which is pretty relevant in a format where there's a lot of graveyard synergies. Plus, the ability to hit a land in a fetch land format is actually pretty unique. We don't really have a Ankh of Mishra or whatever in the modern format that just damages opponents for playing a land or players for playing a land. That ability really intrigues me. Is this a card that can be modern playable? I don't know. I mean, it seems okay, but is it Eidolon just better? Yeah. Like, Eidolon's pretty consistent, and, like, you don't need to play the land to remove this, right? So you can just remove this and then play your land. Like, removal costs one mana in modern. So I don't know. And, like, first strike, is that... I mean, relevant. it's yeah. a it's a little relevant because it does like Eidolon would trade with a Ragavan or a Lurus. Why this actually stonewalls a Lurus or a Ragavan? So there mm. are scenarios where that's relevant. I don't think it's better than Eidolon. I was picturing this more as like additional Eidolons, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't think you Do replace you have your Eidolon. Slots though. in your burn deck, <laughs> like to to put a cemetery. Like, would you really play cemetery gatekeeper? <sighs> That's that's a tough one. What about just punishing lands? Like, it, it, does that do anything for you? The ability to make your opponent take two? Or do you think they're just going to kill it and then make their land draw, probably? This is plays a land, right? So you can't even get, like, Valakit players. You know, like, Scape Shift. Yes, right? that's so right. You have to actually play it. Yep. You only get two damage off of a fetch land, for example, because only playing the fetch land counts, not the cracking and getting another land out of your deck. Yeah, I don't think it's good enough. If, like, if it was, like, a land ETVs, then I think... You could do stuff with it, or like you know, if you punish someone with a fetch for four, it would be five damage to fetch with this thing on the battlefield. It was ETB. That that that's a card, but I feel at as this card, it's just like worse Eidolon. Yeah, uh, it might it might be worse Eidolon. Like Eidolon I think it is, is like Eidolon. a guaranteed hit, right? Like when they when they cast the removal spell, they're taking damage, like guaranteed, right? Whereas is this thing, if you play it on two and you're on the play and you only have a land. Like, you exile the land, they untap, fatal push, play their land, like, you accomplish nothing. It's, like, more inconsistent, and I don't think it's good. <sighs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I still have hopes for it. I think it has potential, but I do agree that I think it is... It's not going to replace Eidolon. I do think it is worse than Eidolon, but I'm still hopeful that maybe it can do something in modern. It's more castable than Eidolon. Like, I don't I don't know. Not being double like red. Yeah, that is. Naya deck or something that wants like an Eidolon effect, but can't play Eidolon. But I, and, I don't know if that actually exists. And the graveyard heat mode is like, that is relevant. Like, you're up against Dredge. They turn one, you know, mill their Dredger in the graveyard or whatever, and you untap and snipe their Dredger out of the graveyard or snipe a potential Snapcaster target. So it is reasonable as as graveyard hate i think that is an upside i don't think that necessarily makes the card but sniping a single card from the graveyard that is a nice little bonus what about modern vampires oh maybe <laughs> is that, is that, are we, do we even have close to a deck in modern vampires we, now you use the vampire synergies and this eidolon thing is just a bonus maybe I mean, we do. We do have some powerful vampires. Vampires have proven themselves to be very good in Pioneer and good in Historic, so we uh, we know it's close. The One of the problems is the dominant builds of vampires in formats like Pioneer tend to be mono-black, and in Modern you have, oh no, what was the crazy mythic from like M10 
that if you have a black card on top the, of your the deck, black, 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 yeah, vampire nocturnus or something like vampire that. Vampire nocturnus, yes, that's what it was. But you have even more things that like incentivize you to potentially be like a heavy black vampire deck. So that would be my concern. But I do think that vampires aren't super far away, but I think they're going to get a little overshadowed. Like zombies got a ton from this set and they're closer to being modern playable. Humans got a bunch of additions. Spirits got a bunch of additions. So I don't know. I think they might just be kind of forgotten as far as modern is concerned is players focus on these tribes that are closer to being modern playable and got a lot of new additions from the set all right next up we have jacob hawken inspector one in a blue two mana value legendary creature human advisor at mythic zero two uh tap draw a card then exile a card from your hand face down you may look at that card for as long as it remains exiled you may pay four blue blue if you do transform jacob uh, backside is a legendary enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library face down. You may look at it for as long as it remains exiled. Once during each of your turns, you may play a land or cast a spell from among the cards you exiled with this permanent without paying its mana cost. <laughs> Worst flipwalker of all time. Definitely, definitely failed out of college. <laughs> Basically, you exile a card. You, like, you can loot an exile, and then also when it flips, you exile the end of your upkeep, and then during your turn you can play something for free from the exiled yeah it reminds me of of baby jace really jason Wren's prodigy there's some uh some callback to that to some extent i'm really curious if this card can be good uh, the thing that makes me skeptical like it's obviously powerful if you manage to flip it like casting a thing for free and in the early game while you're pseudo looting with it you're probably going to be exiling the expensive cards that you can't cast anyway so you're sticking your epiphanies and big expensive finishers under it knowing that you can't cast them early in the game anyway and then if you do flip it you're just slamming those things into play for free each turn that seems kind of insane my concern is I did a bunch of research on where looters actually have seen play in the past and pretty much without fail in 60 card formats and in commander. They're played in decks that want to fill the graveyard. That's why you're playing Jace. That's why you're playing Merfolk Looter is as a way to get your reanimation target or whatever graveyard synergies you got going on into your graveyard. This is a looter that doesn't really do that. And we're in a standard that really cares about the graveyard. So exiling is a pretty big drawback. And then six mana is a lot like that's uh, that is a lot. People, when I first uh, saw this card, I was worried about getting blown out when you try to flip it. But apparently it's all part of the same ability. So uh, you can't can't get blown out like once you activate it if you have six mana you are going to get the option to flip it without your opponent killing it in response which is nice but that's still a lot of mana you think there's any chance richard that this can see play anywhere i think it's good no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think you you just okay so the question is can you afford to play a two mana looter right but if you can you just loot and then you pay six and cast alrin's epiphany like is that what's going on and then you get another trigger from insight yeah like I mean, is that like no i mean if you play is this that to magical christmas land if you play this on turn two you activate it turn three you activate it turn four you activate it turn five you activate it turn six you're gonna have four cards underneath it the turn that you get enough mana to flip it presumably so you should have a lot of options and you should have some good options and then you're getting that extra card every single turn 
I mean, that is pretty that is pretty powerful. I, if you actually flip it, I think the card is insane. I don't know. Like, how often, though, do you think you're going to, like, exile away your finishers and then your opponent, when you get to close to six mana, just frostbites it or whatever, just kills it with something? I mean, maybe that's still a win if they're spending a removal spell on your <laughs> on your zero two looter and you are improving your hand theoretically. So I don't know. I, I, I'm really hesitant to judge this card too harshly after messing up with Jace Friend's Prodigy so bad and this being somewhat similar to it but i tend to lean towards it not being all that good but i'm really hoping i'm wrong because it is a really cool card i i think it's better than jace <laughs> but, i mean the, like, the question is would you even play jace today right like are we too high powered but i i feel you just play this you you loot away and then you cast some like cheaty 10 drop on like turn six right and you know people could remove it but then now you're playing removal against whatever this deck is, right? A control deck, right? So I feel, and then it really works with the 50. I feel like someone might make this work with the 50, right? Because as you chain off, you're getting more cards underneath it and like more free spells to like continue to chain off epiphanies. Oh yeah. I mean, if you do flip this, I feel like you're, you're going to be hugely favored to win the game. And I will say that enchantment is a pretty good permanent type compared to artifact. One thing I've noticed recently is there's a ton of just incidental artifact. Hey, you have like Prismari command running around. A lot of decks can snipe an artifact. Enchantment's a little bit trickier to kill. So there actually is a realistic chance if you flip this that the that the backside is going to stick on the battlefield for, for a few turns. And if you're getting a free extra spell each turn, that's kind of insane. Like Epiphany is a dream, but even just playing a, a random card draw effect, playing anything like for free, like if there's one thing we know about magic is playing things for free is really busted. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you're convincing me that this is better than I think. Yeah. I mean, the real question is like, is there any room in like Epiphany decks to even include this or are we already full and it's too good? But I feel if this was printed a couple of years ago, it, it would be a staple and standard for sure. Like in the right meta, I think this card is actually pretty good, but we'll see how it plays out. But I, I'm looking forward to uh, free epiphanies coming, I think. <laughs> Hooray. Hooray. I'm like six mana. That's like, that's a, that's a discount, right? Like it's good, right? Yeah. It's basically just foretelling your epiphanies for you. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah, the, the problem is like, can you spend on turn two, can you play a looter, right? Or are you going to be dead? Because your opponent just played a three, three, right? And then a Sika's chariot, right? Like you don't have time to be looting, right? So yeah. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, next up, we have Edgar Char. Armed Groom, uh, Orzov 4-drop, 2 white and a black 4-4, four, four, legendary creature, vampire noble at rare. Other vampires you control get plus 1, plus 1. When Edgar Groomed Charmed uh, dies, return it to the battlefield, transformed under its owner's control. Backside is Edgar Markov's Coffin. Legendary artifact, at the beginning of your upkeep, create a 1-1 one, one black and white vampire creature token with lifelink. And put a bloodline counter on Edgar Markov's coffin. If there are three or more bloodline counters on it, remove those counters and transform it. So I will say I love the flavor of this card. I love the going to the coffin and waking up like flavor wise is a pretty awesome vampire. As far as power level, I consider this to be one of the most disappointing cards from the set. But I, I want you to sell me on this, Richard, or maybe you also see it that way. <laughs> Is this card good at all? I see a legendary four mana lord that you get the upside that if it flips around, you get a bitter blossom for a few turns. So it is hard to deal with, but it seems incredibly slow. Like four mana, then you need it to die. A four mana lord is not traditionally a playable effect. Then you need it to die, and then you make one one starting your next upkeep, and then eventually it flips back around again. Like, am I missing?
missing something or is this card just like really bad? I think it's bad, but I, I think the idea of the card is it's a four mana Lord. Like you want to be happy with the front side, right? It's a four mana Lord and it basically has like the God clause, right? Like you can't kill it, right? You try to kill it. He goes to sleep for three turns and comes back. Uh, the problem is there are many ways to kill Edgar such that he doesn't come back, such as like exiling him. And the, the coffin is kind of weak, right? <laughs> like just getting a 1-1 one, one black and white vampire token every turn is uh, not what you want to be doing with your four mana play. So I think the card is bad, but it's flavorful. I mean, oh. It's pretty funny. Like The flavor is great. It's like basically a god, right? He just goes to his coffin, <laughs> comes back in three turns. <laughs> his back is back. Like if he actually survives, then you would have six power. Uh, <laughs> black and white vampire tokens that he generated, right? Yeah, no, I mean, the flavor the flavor is off the charts. And I think part of it was I was expecting Edgar to be, like, one of the bomb mythics from the set. So maybe that's part of why I'm a little disappointed with it is even though I don't think it's a horrible card or anything, I don't know, it's just a, it's just a lord with good flavor, essentially. The other thing, as far as just, like, uh, its playability... Its colors are a little awkward for standard. Like, uh, vampires in standard are very Rakdos focused. Uh, and I don't know if you want to splash into white just to play this card. So people have pointed out, like, oh, we got pathways. It's easy enough to splash a white card. But still, like, I don't know. Is this card powerful enough you actually are going to add an extra color to your vampire tribal deck just to get Edgar's effect? Yeah, I'm I'm not convinced. Hopefully I'll be surprised and it ends up being a, a lot more powerful than I think. But I was definitely expecting something more from Edgar. I, I wish they gave him the Thrag Tusk ability where if he leaves the battlefield for any reason, he just transforms into a coffin. Then I think Ooh. he'd be pretty interesting where like you cannot get rid of him and he's just a ticking time bomb. Right. So and that, that would play up to his lore and give the power a little boost because I, I think you're right. Like Edgar is like the vampire right like why, why what happened he's getting old like he's a little weak here right like i think they should have made him a little stronger right and i think that thrag tusk clause would help you just cannot remove this guy and you need to like tempo him out or something and the backside is very killable too like maybe that would have been another upgrade is making it so if that dies he transforms back to make it like really uh, harder to kill but i worry that even yeah. once you kill it like artifact destruction still will end up taking it down or uh, what binding the old gods or whatever so all right next up we have odric blood cursed <laughs> one red and a white legendary creature vampire soldier at rare three three when Odric enters a battlefield, create X blood tokens, where X is the number of abilities from among flying, first strike, double strike, death touch, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, trample, and vigilance found among creatures you control. <laughs> uh, Please note that Odric has no abilities himself. <laughs> Odric, yeah, I, I wonder why they needed to put that on there, but uh, but yeah, I, I think Odric saved Edgar from being the most disappointing card in the set. I don't know if I've ever seen a, a fine medium power rare be received so poorly by the community. People are very upset about Odric, and I mean, to some extent, I can't really blame people. I was also expecting Odric, similar to Edgar. We were actually talking about it in the in the Goldfish chat before uh, the last day of spoilers. I think every Everyone expected that Odric and Edgar were going to be two of the last like three or four mythics that we had left and we were expecting some big flashy cards and then Odric's just kind of 
I don't know, a random vampire that works with the set mechanic. Like this honestly feels like a a card that would headline a like an intro deck or something like this feels like the face <laughs> card of an old intro deck where it's got the set mechanic and it's like kind of powerful, but not super power like an intro back rare. And this is like a, a pretty iconic character that was sort of hyped up throughout spoiler season. And in Mark Rosewater's hints, they were talking about something becoming vampire. So there was a lot of like anticipation. And then Otter came out and everyone's just like, oh, like that that's it like uh, that's that's what it does so i don't think it's horrible i guess it can make a couple blood tokens but honestly this card does not seem great to me so kind of a waste of a cool storyline in a, a pretty iconic character you played yourself seth all all odrix have sucked what are you talking about i mean this <laughs> no, one sucks what, even when do we have a good one it's it's the mechanic and it sucks just like every other one like, what do you what do you want i feel like this one sucks more than the rest of them though like i feel like this is the worst of the odrix but i mean i don't know maybe blood tokens are are really really strong maybe a blood token deck can play this or something but it seems like it's asking a lot even to get blood tokens out we got some cards that can make a lot of blood tokens in this set like it seems pretty easy to make a blood token i don't even think odric is especially good as far as a blood token maker and it's not yeah he, i feel he needs some keywords like haste first strike and then that way he at least makes some blood tokens when you don't have anything else going on and you can get in there like i feel as is it's literally a three mana three three which uh, is very not playable in, in standard nowadays. And then you might get some blood tokens if, if you have a board state. And you can't even play it with other Odricks. I guess you could play this as a commander of your Odric tribal deck, but the other ones are mono white. So this isn't even the right, right colors to like stick it in your keyword soup Odric deck. And I don't think your random Odric deck really wants this as your commander because I think blood tokens are mostly a value when you have shenanigans with them. If you're a blood token deck, if you're a madness deck or something like that, but just like randomly rummaging through your deck, I don't think it's like especially powerful. So yeah, I don't know this one. This one kind of confuses me too. All right. Uh, next up we have graph reaver, uh, one in a black. So two mana value zombie warrior at rare. It's a three, three with exploit. Uh, when Graph Reaver exploits a creature, destroy target Planeswalker. At the beginning of your upkeep, Graph Reaver deals one damage to you. Oh, love this card. This is, I think, one of the best cards from the set. Like, you get a decent body, uh, which is already pretty fine. A two mana three, three, especially in black. That's not bad, even by 2021 standards. It's got relevant tribal synergies, being a zombie card, and an ex exploit card works well with standard zombies. And then once you get to older formats, that Planeswalker ability is really powerful. Right now in Standard, we got Ren and Seven, but we're not a super Planeswalker heavy format. But once you get to Historic, and you get to Pioneer, and you get to Modern, I run into Teferis and Chandras, uh, Narsets so often in those formats. Having this just be a two mana blow up a Planeswalker that also has a good body, that card feels like kind of insane to me. So I'm pretty high on this card in Standard and especially outside of Standard. But what do you think about this one, Richard? I think this card is super overrated. Ooh. I and you don't think it's good anywhere. Like, you, you need to exploit. So you need to go down a body, right? So, and it doesn't kill a creature. It just kills a planeswalker. If your opponent has no planeswalker, like, what do you do? And the kicker is it deals one damage to you. Like, we just get, like, two mana 3-3s three with upside in other colors nowadays. This is, like, two mana 3-3 three three with downside. It's so situational. I don't think you want it unless you have, like, very heavy zombie synergies. And, like... What's the best case scenario? You sack a decayed zombie? Like you have to build your whole deck around making this like not two for one yourself, right? So I I don't think it's that good. Like 
you can't curve out with it. It's hard to curve out with it. Like, I guess the best case is like you turn one grave crawler, you attack, you turn two graph reaver, exploit the grave crawler, turn three, you cast it back. And then hopefully you got a Renin six along the way. And is that good enough? Was this like the two mana zombie we're, we're waiting to like make zombies viable? Like I, I, I feel like it's not. But what about what about sniping a planeswalker? That's not enough of an upside. I mean, the other thing is you you just play like heroes downfall. <laughs> like that's more reliable though. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, the other thing is you don't have to exploit. So you can just turn one grave crawler, turn to this. I got a three three you know, attack you or whatever. So it is it is an option gnome load, so you don't have to sacrifice something. But I feel like a 3-3 three, three for 2 is good enough stats, especially in a zombie tribal deck. And then the upside of, like, running into the Renin 6, running into the Renin 7, or running into the Fairy, and just having this card that can snipe it, that gets around, like, Dovin's Veto, gets around Force Negation, because it's technically not a spell. I don't know. I think this card can be really good in zombie decks. And I'm actually like considering trying it in non-zombie decks, just like other black aggro decks, if not in the main deck in the sideboard. So maybe I'm like drastically yeah, overrating it, but I forgot exploit is optional. Hmm. So do you like it more in standard or for other formats? I honestly, so in standard, I think it's just like a curve filler two drop for zombies. It'll probably see play just because I don't know if there's a ton of better two drops for the deck, uh, but we'll have to see. But I think it's mostly just, and eh, it's a three, three for two with a drawback that sometimes gets a Ren and six or a Ren and seven. I like it mostly, I think in older formats where I think the Planeswalker sniping mode becomes much more relevant. So uh, I'm I'm actually higher on it from like historic back to modern than I am in standard, but I think it can see play on standard just as a, a random okay beater. Is this jungle? <laughs> Does this replace Tarfagoyf? Ooh, maybe. Maybe eh, I don't know. Can it's it really not? It also works with Luris. So you can just keep exploiting it and sacrificing it to itself and just really get the, the Super Friends deck. <laughs> yeah, but you have to kill planeswalkers. That's the problem. If you could kill a creature, I think it the uh, it'd be like so much better. But <sighs> that might I, be I busted. I think it's it's decent in standard, right? I think two mana three three, you ping yourself, you're bigger than like non-green decks, and you have the option of sniping a Ren in seven. Right. I, okay, I, I, I buy that in standard, but I don't know if I buy older <laughs> formats. But growing your death shadow, Richard. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. The synergies. <laughs> it blocks the monkey profitably. Okay, oh, it does. That's <laughs> uh, next up, we have Eruth Tormented Prophet. One blue and a red. Three mana value. Two four. Legendary creature. Human wizard at rare. If you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library. Instead, you may play those cards this turn. So you turn all your card draw into light up the stages, apparently, which kind of seems absurd. Like, so much value. Casting a consider and drawing two, or casting a behold a multiverse and drawing four, that seems kind of bonkers. It's definitely not a fast card, and it's kind of a weird card to build around because the decks that often have the most card draw are also usually control decks where exiling your cards uh, so they're not going into your hand and you can't hold on to counter spells and you can't hold on to removal spells or rasp for a future turn is kind of a drawback. But I feel like this has a lot of raw power and some sort of like combo deck or some sort of prowess deck. It's got a reasonable body, like a 2-4 is a pretty decent body to you know survive lightning bolts in older formats and to block a lot of non-green creatures in standard i don't know exactly what to do with this card but i feel just like the raw power of this card uh, the level's pretty high well what do you think richard 
This card's insane. Like, you just straight up double your card draw. I, I feel with all the foretell shenanigans going around, this exile clause is not as bad. Like, you exile Aurens Epiphany, then you just foretell it. Right? You can Wait, foretell can off this trigger. Well, right? that's a, I'm going to actually have to look that up. I'm not sure the wording on foretell. Can you may you, play those cards this turn. Can you foretell? Because if you can, it's insane, right? You just foretell Saw It Coming. You foretell Alrin's Epiphany. Like, it's just... Uh, so, foretell, unfortunately. During your turn, you may pay to and exile this card from your hand face down. Oh. All right. This card's trash. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to be like an aggro deck or something, right? You can't, you can't be exiling your epiphanies off of this right like now you need to it's literally light up the stage now right you gotta be throwing burn at people's faces so hmm. it's it, okay I, I agree with you the raw power is high but since you can't abuse it in epiphany decks maybe it's not like insane what about like spell swinger commander decks do you just throw this in as like a way to double up your card doubling up your card draw when we've seen in the past is like five mana six mana seven mana artifacts and enchantments this is really competitively costed but you do have that draw uh, that downside the drawback of not actually drawing the cards which is kind of big and it does hit all your cards so even your draw from the turn is like going into exile rather than going into your hand which that is risky you're not going to be able to hold on to anything once this card gets going but still like it's so much card draw would you play it in commander yes i i think wizards severely underrates or i guess overrates the downside of x line cards hence expressive iteration so I, I think this card is insane. I think you just double your cards and yes, sometimes you'll exile something that uh, you can't cast, but you know, typically you'll just get a land and then you'll get a card you can cast, right? Or you get two cards you can cast. It's still better than drawing your single card. So outside of like actual draw go, if you're actually trying to play your spells, I think this is really good. So I, I feel... It'll probably do something in standard. I feel you should play it in commander as well. Uh, it's like pretty much auto included, is it? I think. Um, so yeah, I think this card is very strong. I think Wizards doesn't understand the or overrates the downside of like exiling cards from the top of your library. I kind of like it in modern too. At least as a card that you can try in some sort of like prowess deck or Phoenix is a little awkward because you don't really want to exile your Phoenixes for the most part, but still like. Three toughness dodges bolt. No one plays path anymore because everyone's playing um, prismatic end, and that's a lot of mana to get this with prismatic end. Two colored decks can't easily get it with prismatic end, so I almost feel like it's got a shot there in some sort of deck as well. It, it's in monkey colors. It's good. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you yes. just monkey tempo, <laughs> like Ooh. some kind of burn prowess monkey <laughs> <laughs> deck. Like yeah, yeah. Why not? All right, cultivator colossus. Four green, green, green. So seven mana value. At Mythic, it's a plant beast, star, star, power, and toughness. Trample, Cultivator Colossus's power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. When it enters the battlefield, you may put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. If you do, draw a card and repeat this process. Ooh, so the main reason I want to talk about this one is I want to ask you what you thought of the power level of the commander combo for this card. As far as standard is concerned, I'm kind of man this card. Maybe it's like okay-ish and some sort of deck that gets a lot of lands with Ren or something, but I think it's more of a commander card. In commander, there's a two-card combo with abundance. Abundance basically has this weird replacement effect, so when you draw a card 
instead you choose land or non-land and you get whatever you choose essentially. So if you play abundance, you play this, the end result is gonna be you draw and put into play tapped every single land from your deck, which is an insane amount of ramp. And if you had a Valakut or a Field of the Dead is also just like potentially game winning. How good do you think that combo is, Richard? Is it a combo that you play in like a lands matter deck or would you just slot that into random green decks as a way to just kind of win out of nowhere? Uh, I mean, I guess you can, right? Like you can always slot in such random combos into your deck that doesn't fit your theme. Uh, so yeah, like, yeah, like you have a field of dead or, or a Valakid or something, this, this wins, right? But I don't think it's too powerful. It's like a seven drop, you need two cards. Uh, there are other spells that ramp insanely like i forgot what it was it's like eight mana or seven mana where you, like for each land you have in play like ramp another land oh out, yeah right bountiful so, realm or something like that yeah. yeah yeah so it's like yeah okay this gets your whole deck but like i don't know there are ways that like these high mana values to like ramp out like eight nine ten lands right so i i don't think it's like too powerful or anything what do you think about standard any shot like it is big and trampoline but it, the problem i see with it in standard is how often are you going to have a land in hand once you play this? Like if you have two or three lands in hand and you get to draw a bunch of cards with CDB, that's kind of crazy. But how often on turn seven, once you need seven mana to cast this card, are you actually going to have multiple lands left over in hand? Seems like kind of a long shot. Yeah, I don't know how you made it to seven mana to cast this to begin <laughs> with, but okay, yes. <laughs> Dies to Doomblade as well. <laughs> so no, I don't think it's playable. Maybe reanimator i don't think you want to reanimate this in any way either so no <laughs> so i don't think it's playable standard commander only card uh all right last up we have hull breaker horror five blue blue so seven mana value seven eight creature kraken horror flash this spell can't be countered whenever you cast a spell choose up to one return target spell you don't control to its owner's hand return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand <gasps> So I feel like this is an insane control and ramp finisher. Of course, with the asterisk that we're in Elrond's Epiphany standard and not much matches up to Elrond's Epiphany for closing out games, but discounting Epiphany, let's pretend Epiphany didn't exist. How good of a control finisher would this be? I see a card that you flash in on your opponent's end step. They can't counter it. Then you want to happen to have all your mana. If they try to interact with it or kill it, you can cast a consider and bounce the removal spell. Or worst case, you can cast a consider and pick up your Hullbreaker Horror, and then you got to recast it for seven mana. But still, it does sort of protect itself if you have a handful of cards. Plus, you can just sling some spells and bounce all your opponent's stuff and start smashing them for a ton of damage. Is this a good control finisher, Richard? Discounting the epiphany problem? I think it's a good control mirror finisher. Okay. Right? Like, <laughs> if you expect other control decks. But in a general sense, like, I don't know, it still dies to Doomblade, right? Like, you need to have the mana to bounce the spell that, they're, you know, they're going to use to remove. But then they can just cast it again, right? So you actually need to deal with it permanently. So I, I think it's, like, worse than, like, I don't know, like, Pearl Lake Ancient or, like, what's the most recent, like, big... Yeah, I, I think Pearl Lake Ancient is actually the <laughs> the most recent one that's similar to this, yeah. You know, like, Aetherling, like, those kind of things that, like, they just cannot be removed, right? So, you know, I, I don't think it's as good as those. Um, I think uh, the actual original, the, the how, the Tide... Tide's about it? Tyrant. Tide, Tide's about Tide's Tyrant, Tyrant, yeah. Tyrant has Hexproof, right? You can't... You can't kill it? It doesn't have Hexproof, but it can bounce lands. Oh, okay, never mind. Then ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this is all moot because we have Alrin's Epiphany. 
<laughs> so uh, maybe you play this like if you're expecting like epiphany mirrors or something and you want to like just like jam this in as like some like finisher. But I feel in the general case, you just use epiphany, right? It's just a much, I'd rather just take an extra turn than have a seven, eight flash, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, upsides is it does work with Leer. Maybe the Demir decks would play it because returning a spell to hand is not countering it. So it gives you like a pseudo counter spell with Leer, uh, even though you don't actually have a real counter spell. It does seem great against Epiphany. Like you get this down against Epiphany, Izzet's going to have a hard time dealing with it. And then just bouncing their Epiphanies is really going to lock down that deck. And it's also really good against Storm Breath, where you can bounce the Storm Breath and not give your opponent the treasure token just by casting a random spell. So you get around the treasure token part. So I like some of those upsides, but still, I don't know. I'm pretty high on this card. I actually think this card can be good, but oh, I don't know if it's Epiphany good. I don't know if anything's Epiphany good. And that might just I mean, keep I mean, it out of the would format. Would you play like Simic Ramp or something to play this? Or is this strictly like I a mean, control? You got finisher? Coma. I think it could be a good uh, ramp finisher. Ramping into this in Coma. The only thing about Simic Ramp that gives me a little bit of concern is I don't know if you have many cheap instant speed spells to sling. And I think that's kind of important for protecting this is to have some sort of instance. Could you imagine like if Growth Spiral was still in the format or something? Then I think this card would be insane as a ramp finisher. But even without that, like, I don't know, casting this, untapping, casting a whatever Quandrix cultivator or whatever weird ramp spells you're playing a tangled floral heater and bouncing your opponent stuff that seems fine the ramp decks played cyclone summoner which just immediately bounces everything for seven mana this can kind of do a imitation of that with some upsides in just a much slower way so i think ramp decks could play it i would i would be interested in trying simic ramp with this in coma at least all right yeah but epiphany what about oh, the, the other place I sort of consider this, and this might be a horrible idea, but like Modern Reanimator? Modern Reanimator cares specifically about non legendary creatures. So maybe this could be like one of the one of the reanimation targets. Eh? Yeah, yeah. But it's modern. You can there's like so many things you can yeah, reanimate. That's true. And it might not be as good as the Modern Horizon 2 stuff. Some of the our kind of cruelty is like kind of an insane reanimation target. So it just gives so much immediate value that maybe that just beats out things like Hallbreaker Horror. If there's like a re maybe it's like a solar frayer reanimator deck where you actually cast your stuff, and then this is good because you can actually just cast it against control and it's not gonna get countered. That could be maybe a thing. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so those are all the previews we wanted to talk about. You can check out the rest of the set on mtgpreviews.com. The whole set is there. And by the time you listen to this podcast, the commander decks will probably be there as well. So a couple other quick topics before we get to fish mail. One that I wanted to ask you about, Richard, is something I've realized seeing these two Innistrad sets uh, in a row is... I kind of wonder if we should do more two set blocks. We've had this weird upheaval as far as how wizards print sets over the last few years. We used to pretty much always have a three set block in a core set, and that was a year of magic. Then we switched to doing two set blocks, and now we do one set blocks and just random, uh, random kind of things. One of the things that I realized though, seeing how these two Innistrad sets work together, like when we got Innistrad uh, Midnight Hunt, some of the things were kind of disappointing, like Decay Zombies. I kind of ragged on pretty hard because I thought they they just didn't really do anything. It was like, oh, they're okay, Sacrifice Fodder, but there's not a lot of synergies. Uh, there were some complaints about not getting enough good werewolves to build like a werewolf tribal deck. And then all of a sudden we get this second Innistrad set, and now we have like Exploit to synergize with the Decay Zombies. We get the one, uh, one drop werewolf or one drop wolf to fill out the curve of werewolves, maybe make it a real thing in standard. We get more advanced vampires to make a vampire uh, set work so i almost wonder if 
two is the sweet spot when it comes to sets. We know that three set blocks, the third set often was pretty bad and not very well received, uh, not very powerful. So three set blocks had that issue. One set blocks, I feel like have two issues. One is you don't get the themes further fleshed out like we were just talking about. You don't get that one drop werewolf or Wizards has to go the other way and they have to say, okay, we wanna have the adventure mechanic playable and standard. So we gotta really push these cards because we only get one shot at it. We got this one set in this one set we got to have enough power to make this whole mechanic work so then that mechanic gets pushed really really hard and then we end up with bannings i kind of feel like more two set blocks would be a really good thing for standard but i want your opinion richard what do you think is is two the magic number when it comes to uh, blocks and sets yeah i'm i'm not sure like why was three bad like why couldn't they space it out more they just ran out of things to do for that block like I, i'm not exactly sure but I, I do agree with you like this this set like the the two sets we just had for Innistrad like they feel more cohesive they feel like they're more fleshed out uh, but I don't know that Eldraine was that bad like maybe it was too pushed but they could just tone down the power level right and then you'd have your adventure funds and then you could move on to the next world like I think when Wizards started this cadence they, they said they were going to use their discretion right like if they felt they needed um, two blocks to finish the story on a plane or something, they would use it, right? And if they only needed one, they would use only one. Uh, but I, I'm i not sure. Like, it's just a different era in Magic. Like, if they did three set blocks today, do you think the third one would be as bad as it was back then? I feel they've learned a bunch of things. Um, it might. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe they could do three set blocks today. That maybe they've learned enough to make it. Although there definitely were some really bad third sets. So they like pretty consistently there were sets that were just not very popular as a third set. And I don't think we got to always have two set blocks, but. I do think I'd like to see Wizards explore it more just based on how much I like how these Innistrad sets kind of work together and how some of the themes actually feel, uh, feel a little bit more fleshed out. One of the things I miss from the old days of magic when we had three set blocks is you'd kind of like you'd get some cards in the fall set and you'd be like wow that's really cool but wait until the next set once we get to the next set and we get more of this mechanic or we get more of this tribe then i bet this can actually be a thing and that to me has kind of been missing to some extent where it has felt a little bit like we have a bunch of just like standalone block constructed decks almost a lot of times that end up battling against each other. It's like, oh, adventures from Eldorade versus uh, the foretell mechanic from this and everything. And it's just like these one set block decks that fight against each other. So I really like the inner set synergy between these two Innistrad sets. And not that there has to be a hard rule where every time we do two set blocks or whatever, but I do think it could be worth exploring more because I am like thrilled with how these two Innistrad sets uh, have come together. So I would like to see more of this personally in the future. Is this actually a block? Like when we play limited, are we drafting two sets? No, but they have that Innistrad double feature thing, which is so technically you're going to block uh, draft Innistrad Midnight Hunt, then you're going to uh, draft Innistrad Crimson Vow, but then there's Innistrad double feature, which is essentially like a slightly remix of both of those sets mashed together. So we're kind of going to get both, but, but it is officially two separate sets as far as limited is concerned. All right. Uh, so one other thing I wanted to ask you, we got this weird secret layer drop announcement that just kind of got tweeted from uh, from Mischief, I think is who's releasing it, which is a, a company I'm not really familiar with, but I researched a little bit and they do like 
these drops of all different random things. These very time limited, uh, limited drops. And the cards are crazy. Even for secret lair drop cards, these cards are really far out there. I don't even know. Can you describe them at all, Richard? How do you describe these cards? Look, the planes is a picture of a golf course. That I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on here. Blood Moon is like all etched and it's like astrological signs. Grim Tutor... Uh, looks amazing. I can't even read this word. It swords to plowshares. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is this card? Uh, there's cut to ribbons and then to fairy's puzzle box. And they look, I don't know, they, like they just look like half the cards look like pure foil, right? And then like some, some stuff etched onto them. And then we have this weird unglued looking golf course, which I thought was portable hole, but it's actually just a planes. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you like that planes? I think the planes is the one that I love some of these cards. I definitely got to get that blood moon because the blood moon is I think it's spectacular. The grim tutor looks amazing. Like all the cards look really sweet, except for this planes, which I don't even know if I think it doesn't look sweet. It is just it's jarring. Even for secret lair drop cards, this one is far out. It is literally looks and maybe it's not a photo, but it actually very much looks like a photo of a golf course. Maybe someone painted it or something and it just looks very photorealistic, but it looks like someone just snapped a, a photo of a golf course. What do you think? Is is that a planes you would play, Richard? Yeah, <laughs> like, I think it's funny, right? I, mean, I think it it's a good conversation starter. It's like that weird thing you put on your coffee table, right? It's like, how is it a planes? I don't know. Why, why is it literally a like there's a there's a flag to indicate the the hole, right? Like it's literally a golf course. I don't know. I, I don't know what is going on, but it clearly is marked with the plane symbol. So it is a planes, right? So I think it's funny. Now, would I pay how much you think it's going to cost? Oh. Five, 10, $15 for planes like this? Like probably not. But if I had one, I guess I would play it. Why not? Also worth mentioning, this appears to be part of the Secret Layer Drop X series, which is uh, what gave us the like Walking Dead cards, what gave us the Stranger Things cards. We haven't gotten details about this. The The spoiling of this was just like a, kind of a random tweet. So the spoiling of it, random tweet, we don't really know anything about it. From what I've heard about Mischief, it's even more time limited like uh, than like a normal secret lair drop and people are saying I don't even know if people can get this it's from what I read researching it it sounds like you download an app and they send you like a, a notification when uh, a drop goes live and then you have a very limited number of them and then they're sold out and they're gone forever and they do this with all kinds of stuff I was looking at their their website and they have like Michael Jordan signed basketballs and just like all kinds of random things with these super limited drops uh, so I don't know. Do you know this company at all, uh, Richard, this mischief thing? And is there any concern that no this idea. is even more FOMO-y and time limited than a normal secret layer drop, which is kind of one of the criticisms of secret layer drops? I mean, it works for Wizards. are going to keep doing it. I don't know why we think they're not going to keep extracting maximum money out of us. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like it wouldn't surprise me if there was even more FOMO uh, with this. It, I mean, it does. It is special, right? There's something different about this drop than other drops. So I expect them to cash in on that aspect. Um, I do wish they officially revealed these. Like, I can't tell if these are real or fake, right? Like, are these real secret lair cards? Like, they're very well done. But, you know, are they real? Are they fake? Like, I wish Wizards, when they release these, like, really off-the-wall cards, like, they would actually explicitly release them on their website um, in conjunction with whatever, who you know, whoever they're using to promote it. That way we know it's real and... Uh, we know the details of it, too, instead of just speculating and spreading false information and whatnot, right? So, yeah, it's it's weird. Like, just take a look at the cards. Like, I, 
I can't imagine showing our current cards to like magic players from five years ago. Oh, they're going to be like, what, what is this? We were complaining about like textless cryptic commands and now we get these things, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know what's going on anymore. Right. Yeah. I I definitely agree that if wizards does want to preview cards this way and have people tweet about them and whatnot, they definitely should follow it up pretty quickly with an article. Like give it a couple hours or something if you want to have this exclusivity for the person that's spoiling it. But it's been like a few days now. Uh, I think it's been three days since the first tweet went up and we still haven't really gotten any information. So I don't know. I think that is a, a real concern. We could, these cards could be fake for all we know. We're pretty sure they aren't fake based on the person who tweeted them and the mischief company and whatnot. But I do think wizards could do a better job of making sure that people are going to know that the cards are real and that the product is real, especially in this environment when so many cards don't look real anymore, or real quote unquote compared to traditional magic cards. I'm going to go back to like custom magic cards subreddit and see if someone from the future like posted these <laughs> like five years ago. They're like, look at look at this new plane. It's like, why would Wizards put a golf course on a plane? like, get out of here. You're trolling. <laughs> like, ah, I'm a time traveler. Believe me. I, <laughs> oh, I am going to buy one of these if I can. If it, if it does work out i can get one like i said i don't know how limited they're gonna be but i i gotta have that blood moon i'm a strong believer my my, like swamp walmart or something you know so swamp there's like a walmart you're like what does this have to do with anything but okay right like just just random arbitrary locations on earth on like magic cards I'm ready for it. Oh, yeah, like Google Earth. Just random random button on Google Earth. Boom. That's a swamp. That's a planes. Go. Print it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if like some like intern like messed up the art and then they just, we'll just roll with it. Because I'm like, how is a golf course of planes? I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how that's a planes either, but. <laughs> There's literally a forest in the picture. There's like trees <laughs> and everything. I'm like, what? <laughs> Oh, anyway, we're, we're running a bit long. Do we have any fish mail today, Richard? All right. If you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MGFishmail. And we'll get to your questions on air. Uh, so we'll handle one question today from Le Parker. Uh, with the rising popularity of Commander and it being the biggest format, do you think Wizards will one day try to merge EDH into organized play and do official EDH tournaments? I bet Wizards would love to, but from what I've seen so far, Commander tournaments just really don't go well. They're kind of against the spirit of the format, which is this like casual thing. Uh, even in events I've been at, like uh, GP Vegas a couple years ago, where they had official Commander tournaments, from what it looked like to me, most people were just playing casual games because that's kind of what Commander's about and that's what they wanted to do. So even though I think Wizards would love to be able to monetize Commander even more and have tournaments for Commander, I can't imagine that actually working just because Commander is such a unique format and it's so based upon uh, being a casual format. So I'm going to go to no. If anything, more Command Fests and things like that, I think, are definitely a possibility. More Commander events. But as far as actual like a Commander GP or a Commander Pro Tour, at this point, I would be surprised if that was ever something that happened. Yeah, I, I think they'll do more events, but not like competitive events like a Grand Prix or something, but like more Magic Fest, like Seth said, like they'll figure out a way to make it a bigger spectacle to get you to, you know, decide to drive three hours somewhere to uh, play uh, with a big community. So more Command Fests, more, I don't know, like re- remember they have like those um, 
what was it like the the best chef or whatever where people would have to like brew up decks for whatever oh yeah uh, and then play them like like that kind of stuff but with commander right like more investment into like say game nights type stuff where like maybe they run their own series like there's not just only game nights but there's like some other wizard series or something like that so i imagine wizards will find some way to uh cash in on on kind of like commander content because they don't really have any commander content really so to speak so i i think they'll try to explore those areas in the coming years yeah definitely agree uh, i think they'll do more with it i just can't see it really ever being a competitive format all right uh so thank you to everyone who sent in questions uh next week we should have a lot of time to cover questions so send them in uh if you have questions send them to at mpg goldfish with the hashtag mpg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air and i believe that brings us to the end of episode 354 of the mtg goldfish podcast so richard thanks for hanging out thanks to everyone for listening thanks to card conduit for supporting the show and we will be back next week to talk about our first impressions of innistrad crimson vow standard and whatever else goes on in the world of magic so until then have a great week everyone and this is a crew signing out